0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Matthew chapter 24 as we continue our study of what is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus at this point has left Jerusalem in the week in which he is about to be betrayed and crucified. He's left Jerusalem after pronouncing judgment upon that generation of leaders and He has gone across the valley to the slopes of the Mount of Olives that looks across to Jerusalem. He is with his disciples. His disciples have asked a question about when these things will occur, that is, the things concerning the future and what will be the end of the age. And Jesus gives his longest answer to a question recorded in the scriptures. And we have been taking our time to work through this. This morning we're going to examine together verses 15 through 28. And I will begin reading in verse 15. Jesus said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in that those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. And I think we are in common with the conviction that we need help to understand these things. So let's go to the one who gives understanding and ask him. Our Father, we have already prayed that you would speak by your word to us and by your spirit. So once more, we pause to humbly recognize that that apart from your grace, we cannot understand the truth or the intent of our Lord. Not that his words are somehow mysterious But even if we understand the surface meaning, we may not necessarily embrace the, the magnitude of the truths. So we pray as we have sung, shape and fashion us into your image, the image of your Son. Make us prepared for these things that are coming. In Jesus' name and for his honor we pray. Amen. Well, in light of the fact that for many of us these things are somewhat unfamiliar and also that we may have a few folks who are here this morning or listening to the recording who are new, I want to briefly, as I can, to quickly review the setting and a few important details about this text. It is obviously ominous. It is Jesus is speaking of a terrible time, and we will look at that in detail together this morning. It is is the Great Tribulation, as Jesus calls it, a time of great, unparalleled tribulation. But the setting, again, as Jesus is speaking, as we come to Matthew 24, is our Lord Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, instructing them, and by the Holy Spirit, having recorded... For his people, what would happen? We know that because in verse 15, in parentheses, at least in my English translation, the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to put in these words let the reader understand. So, as Jesus is there on the Mount of Olives, having been rejected at that time by his people as the King of Israel, the Messiah, he is giving instructions through his disciples who will be the apostles. For all who will read the scriptures, but in particular, a a people, a remnant of elect believers in the last days who will live in this great tribulation. They will be alive during this time. And we understand as we read through chapter 24, there are some experiences that are common to Christ's people in every generation. Wars and rumors and wars. We've been told by our Lord that those who are his followers are to expect persecution. But what Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24, and we'll emphasize this this morning, is a time of unparalleled developments. It is, as Jesus says, a unique time such as verse 21 has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. So we believe and teach here at this church that these things that Jesus is speaking of are primarily future and in keeping with a seven-year period of time that God revealed to Daniel and that is largely the object of Jesus's teaching here. That may strike us as odd that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and then had it recorded for we who are here this morning and yet the ultimate intended audience is this this future remnant of believers alive during the tribulation, but it ought not to strike us as odd. The church body family here knows that several years ago I I uh, studied for, for a few years the second half of the book of Isaiah. We preached all the way through it. I, I wrote a, a long paper on it and One of the striking things about that whole second half of the book of Isaiah is that God gave to Isaiah words that were to be preached to that generation he was living in, but wouldn't come true until the generation of his grandchildren and then into the future, into the distant future. So this is a common practice in the scriptures for God to reveal through one of his prophets and in this place, in this incident, the ultimate prophet, our Lord Jesus Christ, a word that is for that current generation and for those who will read the scriptures, but is especially directed at a group of people that will live in the last days, these elect remnant of believers. Again, that is a dominant theme of the Old Testament that God will preserve for himself in the last days, a remnant of believing Jews and Gentiles but God is not done with Israel and that is what this word primarily has to speak about and I will again we're sitting here in Chichester New Hampshire in 2022 and and I, I I understand that maybe for some of us our initial inclination might be well okay Jesus is primarily speaking to people in the future so so what does that have with me to do with me a couple couple observations quickly if the Lord was speaking say to your great-grandchildren and it was recorded in the scriptures and you learned from the scriptures that your great-grandchildren who were going to believe in Jesus were going to go through a particular time and Jesus and the Holy Spirit took the time and the intent to record in holy scripture some words that are applicable at every time but are particularly directed at your great-grandchildren so that in those days of unbelievable duress that they would be equipped with hope and with encouragement with instruction would you think that that word was not relevant to you of course not you would thank god you would adore jesus that he would be so kind and so thoughtful as to Prepare a word for these who are your loved ones. The people that Jesus is ultimately speaking to, these are my people. These are your people if you're a believer. They may be primarily a Jewish remnant, but we are one in in Christ, one people of God. There may be distinctions between God's specific unfolding plans and fulfilling his promises to Israel. But we are Gentiles who have been grafted in. This is the people of God. This is the plan of God. These are my people. And so while I may not, I don't believe I'm going to be around when these particular specific things occur. I love Jesus for this. I love him for giving these words. This, this is my savior. This is the kind of king he is. That He gives a word to equip his people, which is by way of introduction, what might the application be for us? I'm going to give you that on the front end of this sermon. He wants his people to be ready. And we are certainly to be ready at all times. He wants his people to persevere. And we are certainly to persevere at all times. And most of all, Jesus wants his people to have hope. These are words not ultimately of fear and of foreboding. They are distressing. They are concerning. They are frightening. But they are most of all full of hope because our king tells us in advance exactly what is going to unfold, tells us that it was prophesied as far back as the ministry of Daniel hundreds of years before even the coming of Christ, and that God is sovereign over these things. These words are laced with and overflowing and dripping with hope for Christ's people. Which is the last word of by way of introduction I want to give. What should be the result of our study this morning of the great tribulation? Worship of Jesus. Whatever your interpretation is of these things, I trust we can find in common That we ought to worship our Lord, who takes the time on the eve, as it were, of the day in which he's going. This is the day before he's going to be betrayed and handed over. and, And he's not saying to his men, hey, guys, I'm about to go through a really rough time. Could you encourage me? He's not even thinking of himself. All he's thinking about, not his own sufferings, is his beloved sheep who are going to suffer what a savior what a savior so without introduction this morning i want to with you look this morning at six descriptions jesus gives of the great tribulation six descriptions or six aspects of it we're going to look together at its commencement or its beginning its geographical center thirdly its intensity Fourthly, its length. How long is it going to last? Fifth, its greatest cruelty. And sixth, its end. And we'll go through these one by one. And I trust that you will see that I am just walking through the text, that there is not speculation here this morning. There is not fanciful conjuring of details. We are just going to walk through the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, I am using, I suppose I should add one more introductory comment. I am calling this the great tribulation. Where am I getting that from? Jesus. That's what he calls it. And if he calls it that in verse 21, it works for me. And no matter how many abuses there have may have been in speculation, in prophecy, we need to take the word of our Lord seriously. He calls it a great tribulation. So what is this great tribulation? First, let's look at its commencement. Uh, we know that from graduation ceremonies, they're often called commencement ceremonies. And what we mean by that, that a graduation from high school or college or kindergarten, whatever it may be, is a, is a completion of one set of studies. But, but you've been studying to, to begin a life or to begin an occupation, So by commencement, we mean what is the beginning of the great tribulation? Jesus has described the tribulation generally in the first verses of chapter 24. The first half of the tribulation period is is like the beginning of birth pangs, and it is an unparalleled time of wars and rumors of wars, of famine. The tribulation of, of the persecution of Believers will increase, verse 9. There will be an increase in false prophets, verse 11. Uh, There will be defections and apostasy, verse 12, and so forth. There will be a preaching of the the gospel to the whole world during the tribulation period. We examined last two Lord's Days ago how that could possibly be. But Jesus, in verse 15, makes a clear and distinct and distinguishable change in his discourse. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. This is the commencement, this abomination of desolation that Jesus speaks of and references back to Daniel. That is the beginning of this period that is a clear marker that Jesus is giving to his people when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel. It's interesting, our Lord's hermeneutic, his view of Old Testament scripture is that it is to be taken literally at face value. Of course, of course, you have use of metaphors at times, but what God revealed to Daniel was not to be allegorized it was not to be spiritualized Jesus references what Daniel spoke of as needing to be fulfilled there are three passages in Daniel and I need to move quickly so I don't know that you'll have time to turn there with me but the first is if you want to try is Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 This is in the section of Revelation to Daniel where the angel Gabriel has been sent by God to Daniel and God has given to Daniel uh, as a prophet and to be recorded in the scriptures basically a blueprint for the unfolding of God's redemptive history. And God had declared that, that there would be 77 year periods of time or 490 years total, in which God would complete his dealings with Daniel's people, the Israelites, the Jews, and with the holy city, Jerusalem. And in that last 70th seven-year period, that last seven-year period, in verse 27, the angel said that there was this character, this this antichrist figure who will make a firm covenant with the many for one week but in the middle of the week he'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction one that is decreed one that is poured out on the is poured out on the one who makes desolate the next reference to this abomination of desolation and I'll explain it briefly in a moment. I'm just showing you what is Jesus referring back to. Daniel 11, chapter 11, verse 31. Again, in the context, it's clear that this is this little horn, this, this antichrist figure, this representative of, Christ, of, of Satan in the last days, who will lead a worldwide rebellion against God. And forces from him, God said to Daniel, from this Antichrist, will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. Third passage of this reference to the abomination of desolation is Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. There God instructs Daniel that from the time that the regular sacrifice in the temple is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 12, 1,290 days, roughly three and a half years. Hold on to that. So, so what does all this mean? The, the plane, if you consider the context and the details of that, is that in the middle of this seven-year tribulation period that is to come in the future. An evil character called the little horn in Daniel chapter 7 or the Antichrist in the New Testament, Paul references him in Second Thessalonians as the lawless one that is to come. This Antichrist figure will com- commit idolatry, idolatrous blasphemy of an unparalleled kind in a temple that will have by then be rebuilt in Jerusalem. He will commit, as I said, unparalleled idolatrous worship that will be an abomination to God and to the Jewish people alive at that time. And while under Antiochus Epiphanes, a few hundred years before the birth of Christ, he fulfilled many of these details he was a wicked man who was when the Roman Empire, um, rather, rather the Greek Empire was breaking up. He was an evil leader, and he came to Jerusalem and famously slaughtered the entire populace virtually. and And he entered into the holy place, the temple. And this is this is before Jesus's day, and he set up. Uh, worship of himself, of Jupiter rather, in the holy place, the god Jupiter, and he had a pig sacrificed and its blood spread on the altar, which obviously desecrated the temple worship at that time. But Antiochus Epiphanes lived before Jesus, and Jesus is speaking of this as something that is to come. Some would say, well, this is what happened when the Romans came a few years, about 40 years after the death of Christ in 70 AD. They did destroy Jerusalem. They did decimate the temple, but nothing of the scale and scope of what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 24 can be fully realized in that event in 70 AD. And what we find in scripture when God speaks of things in the future, we find that Rather frequently, there can be precursors to the ultimate event. There can be events that foreshadow and instruct and teach on the ultimate fulfillment. And so there is a time coming in the middle of the seven-year tribulation period when the Antichrist, the lawless one that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, will establish in a rebuilt temple a form of worship that will be so heinous, so offensive to God and to God-fearing men and women that it will be an abomination. And the desolation, the violence that will occur in that day will be unparalleled. Paul, writing in 2 Thessalonians, I've referenced it several times now, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Listen to what he says to the church in Thessalonica. He says, we request of you, brethren, that regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or message or letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now pause. The, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is this period of time of unparalleled wrath displayed by God upon this earth. This earth is under the curse and wrath of God right now. It, it is already experiencing the, the futility. I mean, this is, why, um, this is why every single week, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we try to make things work exactly, something always goes wrong. That's just because generally the world is under the curse of God. It does not under his blessing, but there is a time coming called the day of the Lord in the scriptures of an unparalleled unleashing of the wrath and judgment of God upon this earth. And someone was telling this church of believers in Thessalonica that that the day of the Lord had already come and they had basically missed the coming of the Lord and being gathered to him. And Paul's saying, no, 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 don't, don't let anybody disturb you like that. Why? I'm going to continue on in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. It's just in keeping with Daniel and with what Jesus said. Verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being of God, as God. That is the abomination. That there will rise in the future a figure the Antichrist, also described in Revelation, who will actually impose on this world is absolutely required, the worship of Him, and He will put down every other religion, every other worship. He alone will be, will demand to be worshipped. It's an unparalleled moment that has not occurred in history nothing like this has happened it has been foreshadowed Antiochus that evil wicked man who persecuted the Jews before the days of Jesus he we know this from a historian Jewish historian Josephus and from the book of Maccabees some other current historical writings not in scripture Antiochus would um he required that the law of God, the Old Testament law, be obliterated. He, he mandated that the Jewish fathers and mothers were not permitted to circumcise their boys according to the law of God. They were not to observe the Sabbath, they were not to observe the dietary laws. He was cruel. If any mother and father of a Jewish boy circumcised their son, there's records that he crucified both the father and the mother. And while they were hanging on the cross, witnessed what would happen to their little one. Words that I can't even describe here. This is the kind of world we live in. But that kind of evil that happened in the days of Antiochus, the kind of days that happened in the days of Hitler and Stalin. There's a time coming that will be unparalleled. And so... The beginning of the Great Tribulation is, according to Jesus, in Matthew 24, verse 15, the setting up of this abomination of desolation. The time when this Antichrist, this lawless one, this son of destruction, as Paul calls him, establishes and sets himself as God in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is giving those who live in that future day a forewarning of what will occur and a clear, undeniable, unmistakable indication of when they can know that they are experiencing what Jesus calls the Great Tribulation. Secondly, this morning, I want you to just briefly note and observe the geographical center of the Great Tribulation. Why do I take a moment. Well, notice that Jesus, in verse uh, 16, says, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Interesting, but not incidental. There will be tribulation all over the world at that time, and Revelation makes that clear, but the center of this Antichrist violent persecution and hatred of the Jewish people and of believers in Christ will be focused in Judea and in Jerusalem. This is right in keeping with the prophets of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12, you don't have time to turn there, but just listen. When God said to Zechariah, Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. There's a day coming when the nations, according to Zechariah chapter 12 and Zechariah 14, are going to once and for all surround Jerusalem. Later in Zechariah, he describes Horrific events where a significant portion of the population is going to be slaughtered, there's going to be rape, there's going to be the most horrendous kind of violence, and the only thing that will end it is the return of Jesus Christ Himself and His feet on the Mount of Olives. Now, it's a bit of an aside, but not really. For context, Jesus is teaching about this on the Mount of Olives. And he knows what Zechariah 14 describes. That the Son of Man will come and his feet will set down on the Mount of Olives. It will be split apart. Think about it. He's teaching his disciples from the Mount of Olives about these things to coming. But don't you think in his holy heart he is eager for the day. After his after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, after his ascension, isn't he eager for the day when in glory he will return, touch his feet down on that planet, and then we will see Jesus the king as a warrior and he will not be meek and mild. And he will slay the foes of his people with the sword of his mouth, with a word of his mouth. This is our king. This is our Savior. But the center of that will happen in Judea. Thirdly, the great tribulation's intensity, its intensity. Jesus wants his people to know the scope, the intensity of this time. In verses 16 and following once the abomination of desolation occurs and again see the see the holy spirit wants us to take note let the reader understand that is an indictment upon the evangelical church today that basically says now we don't need to understand the holy spirit wants us to understand the words of the lord and to pay attention to these things and jesus is earnest what kind of language could he possibly muster to more impress upon his people the severity of these days they are in a word unparalleled in their intensity unparalleled if you're taking notes this will be a day unlike any other so bad that when when someone learns of the abomination of desolation you you got to run for your life there's no indication here like the news, rest of the New Testament that you should stand and, and suffer for Christ. No, Jesus says, leave, run for your life. If, if you're on your house, and that was, that was basically the Middle Eastern living room, great room, no air conditioning. So you hang out with your family and you're talking and laughing and playing games, enjoying a meal on a hot day. You're doing that on your roof. Flat roof and the breezes come by and you look at the sunset. If you're up there, Jesus says, Do not even go down, verse 17, to get anything from your house. Don't worry about water, don't worry about food. Just flee. Don't get your coat, verse eighteen. If if you're working in the field and you hear news of this, just leave everything. Run. Jesus, verse nineteen, is just using description of someone who's pregnant and those with little ones to emphasize that if you are slowed down it is going to be difficult there's pity in verse 19 he's not judging these women he's just he's describing the reality of the horrors of it and lamenting that they will not be able to move as quickly and flee because of they are with child and or have little ones. Pray, verse twenty. He says that your flight will not be in winter. He says that you won't freeze. You won't experience that kind of deprivation, or on a Sabbath. Now, now we wonder why why that. Well, Jesus again is speaking to largely jewish people and and there may be some whose conscience is is held to a view that on the sabbath you shouldn't even run or walk and we know record of this from from jewish history that early in the maccabean revolt this is a few hundred years before the time of christ and there was a revolt against evil rulers and and in the first phase of that of that revolt, in which the Jews, for a while, were victorious, but one of the reasons they were so easily early on defeated by their enemies was that they would not fight on the Lord on the on not the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. Um, and so, of course, that makes it kind of easy if you're hiding in a cave and you won't fight. All they did was light fires, and in a few minutes, hundreds of people were slaughtered because their understanding of the Sabbath is they would not take up arms or fight. So Jesus is underscoring the intensity of this time. It is unparalleled and you need to take it seriously. And while some of the signs of the times that Jesus speaks of have been experienced by his people in every age, nothing of the scope and magnitude of what Jesus is talking about has ever happened. How do we know that? Because verse 21 could not be more plain. Jesus says there will be a great tribulation. He uses the word great, mega, great tribulation. And here's the key. Such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Jesus' words are plain, clear, easily understood. And yet a significant portion of Christian pastors and theologians Believe and teach that most of what Jesus is speaking about was fulfilled and completed in 70 AD when the Jews overthrew Rome. Even the decimation of Jerusalem by the Romans, as horrific as it was, and it was bad, pales in comparison to what we know what happened in the 20th century with the slaughter of tens of millions of Jews. Jews. In high school, I had the awesome and humbling privilege of going to one of those concentration camps. And I will never forget seeing one of those buildings which was comprised of brick ovens in which men and women, boys and girls, after being slaughtered, were cremated and not with honor. The overthrow of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by the Romans was, by all accounts, a bloodbath. But Jesus says what he's describing is a time that is unparalleled and unlike any other. What's going to happen in that future day is, if possible, going to make the Holocaust look small by comparison unparalleled says jesus and we know that the end has not come the end did not come after 70 a.d there are some full preterists they're called who believe that jesus returned somehow in 70 a.d spiritually we deny that and that is heresy we are waiting for the visible return of our lord jesus christ But you can't piecemeal it either. For Jesus says, verse 33 of chapter 24, when you see all these things, what Jesus is speaking of, while maybe experienced even in our day in smaller forms, as believers are persecuted, these things are going to happen in together in a time period called the Great Tribulation. Fourthly, this morning, examine with me The length, the length of this great tribulation. And I want to underscore that what Jesus teaches is that this is a fixed amount of time determined by God. Verse 22, Jesus says, Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. In other words, that God has already determined according to his plan and as revealed to Daniel, his servant, that there is one seven year period remaining. And that God will, in his sovereign providence, see that these things unfold according to his plan. But Satan and this Antichrist lawless son of destruction will not continue on without end. God has determined the boundaries of this event. It's fixed and determined by God. Who will cut it short? God, by his declaration, by his determination, and by the coming of his son. Again, I just if the 7-year tribulation sounds somewhat unfamiliar to some several weeks ago we examined that according to Leviticus God ordained that his ancient people Israel would not only honor the seventh day as the sabbath but every seventh year was to be a sabbatical year and not only that but they were to keep track of each seven year period and at the end after the 47 of those seven year periods or 49 years in the 50th year they were to celebrate the year of jubilee They never did. They disobeyed God. And so in part, in order to give the land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob its Sabbaths, God sent the people into exile for 70 years, one year for violation of each of those missed sabbatical years. So the principle of a seven-year period is not foreign to the Scriptures. It's not imposed on the Scriptures by some prophecy quack. It arises out of the biblical theology of the text. And there is one, according to God's revelation to Daniel, there is one year remaining. And we shouldn't scoff at this being literal because God declared that there would be 69 of those seven-year periods or 483 years between... The decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Daniel was in the the uh, empire of the Babylonians and then the Persians. Jerusalem at that time was decimated, destroyed. And God was revealing to Daniel that there's going to be a time when there's going to be a decree to rebuild. We know that that happened with Artaxerxes, the king or the emperor of Persia when he decreed to Nehemiah around 445 BC that he was to return with a group of people and to rebuild not only the temple not only the city but to actually rebuild the walls and that's what we have in the record of Nehemiah including the moat and the walls and is it coincidental that 445 BC add 483 Jewish calendar and that lands you right in the ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and, according to some scholars, the very day that he entered into Jerusalem that we know as the triumphal entry. Even if you don't have that level of specificity, it cannot be merely coincidence that it was 69 seven-year periods between the decree of Artaxerxes and the on-site ministry of Jesus of Nazareth in Jerusalem. Literal not mystical, not impossible to understand, and there's one period remaining, a seven-year period. And we even saw this morning, read earlier by Daniel, that from that time of that abomination, 1,260 days, three and a half years. So if the great tribulation perhaps begins in the middle of that seven-year period, God is saying through Christ, Christ is speaking to his disciples, take heart, Those days will be cut short, and they will not overflow the three-and-a-half-year period determined by God. Wonderfully hopeful. God is sovereign over history, not Satan. Fifthly, two more points this morning. The tribulation period, the great tribulation... It's greatest cruelty. What is its greatest cruelty? Jesus spends a lot of time on this in verses 23 through 26. Its greatest cruelty will be false reports of Christ's return. False reports of Christ's return. In those unparalleled dark days of such bloodshed and deceit and abomination and desolation as the world seems to fall apart under the judgment of God and the raging of the of Satan and the antichrist the few believers that there will be the few believers in Jesus the messiah of Israel they will Maybe know that it's limited, but they in the middle of it, it will seem like an eternity. If you've been in a time in your life when you were a lot of pain. You may know somewhere that this isn't going to last forever, but when you're in the middle of it, it seems like it's going to last forever forever. They will long for the return of Christ because they know that he's the only one who can remedy the situation. And the cruelty of that day is that Satan will inspire false reports of Christ's return. This is why Jesus says, verse verse 23, if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, there he is. Again, verse 26, if anyone says to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness. Behold, he's in the inner room. It may be that these believers have heeded Jesus' words. They have fled. They are hiding. They are holding out. They are trying to survive. And Jesus is telling them, Do not believe the lies. Don't believe the lies about false Christs. There'll be false prophets telling you that He's in a certain place, or and, and they'll even verse 24, this is Satan's cruelty. they'll even show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Satan who has great power, certainly not even, not even worthy of being mentioned next to the power of God, but he will demonically inspire these false prophets. Who will, and we learn this in Revelation, one great false prophet in the end who will, who will prophesy that the Antichrist, the beast, is the Christ and to be worshipped. And Jesus is saying, that's going to happen. I'm preparing you ahead of time. Notice what he says in verse 25. This, this verse maybe stands out in this section to me more than anything. Jesus' eyes are on his men on the side of Mount of Olives. He knows that this, this, what he's saying is going to be recorded in Scripture. He's speaking to these believers and saying, Behold, I have told you in advance. Wow. I've told you in exactly what's going to happen. You are equipped to withstand these false prophets. They will not mislead the elect. But the part of the way that the elect, God's people in that day, will persevere and remain steadfast to Jesus Christ, the true Christ, is they will hold fast to these words. Six, and finally, the end of the Great Tribulation. This is the best part. Verse 27. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Son of Man is another messianic title revealed in the book of Daniel. This is the Son of God. This is Christ. In a hot summer day, maybe in the late afternoon, early evening, if there's dark clouds who are coming you know how the sky can just darken and maybe you're outside maybe you're at a baseball game golf course whatever the case may be you suddenly see everybody flinch and it's likely because there was a flash of lightning that nobody missed <laughs> And suddenly, this gathering of large group of people are suddenly going for the cars. I remember baseball games as a boy growing up. I mean, just, you just, you'd, you'd have multiple fields of baseball, everybody's playing, cheering, flash, whoop, everything stops, shuts down, everybody goes. It's, it's unmistakable. Then you hear the boom, the thunder, but it's the flash of lightning. I mean, if it's close by, you don't miss it, it, it gets your attention. What is the end of the great tribulation? When will it officially be over? Answer, the glorious, unmistakable return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In person, the resurrected Christ will come and he will return. And no one will miss it. Everyone on earth will know it. Everyone in heaven will know it. And if you're a believer here this morning, again, maybe you're tempted to think, well, this is about the great tribulation in the future. And and uh, I, I, we teach that the church will be raptured before that great tribulation. I know some of you have questions about that. But we will... Be with the Lord, or perhaps we're going to die before this happens and we'll be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where will we be when this happens? Revelation. Revelation. Chapter 19. John says I saw heaven opened in verse 11 and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is describing his return. And then verse 14, and the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. That's the believers. If you are trusted in Christ, you are cleansed, you are washed, you are clothed and robed before the sight of God, as it were, the righteousness of Christ. I'm not going to miss this. And if you're a believer, you're not going to either. But your vantage point will be on the return of Christ. You won't be on earth looking up. You'll be with him when he returns. And I won't need these anymore. (laughs) I'm going to have a full, upfront view of the glorious, unmistakable return of the Son of Man... The Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, who is the word of God, who will come. And as we sang earlier and mark the words and you let it sink into your bones. He will take back not just this world. He will take back his world. For he spoke this world into being. It is his land. It is his earth. It is his galaxy. It is his universe. We are his people. Everything is for the praise of his glory alone and the praise of his father. And he will come and he will take it back with force. That's the end of the great tribulation. And from that point on, the people of God and the Lord Jesus Christ never again... Will experience tribulation never for if it's true that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world right now <laughs> what will it be like that day when he who is in us now in that day he won't just be in us by his spirit he will be physically presence He will be the one who is in this world and Satan will be cast out. If God is for us, who can be against us? If Christ is with us, no more tribulation, no more fear, no more sorrow. The tribulation will be over. Verse 28. Did that strike you as odd? I mean, Jesus, I'm following Jesus. This is glorious. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures were gathered. Huh? There may be a few porcupines on our property who recently met their demise at the hand of a shotgun by a certain preacher. <laughs> and he may have disposed of said creature over the hill down into the woods And he heard from his wife that she saw, at one point, all these turkey vultures circling in the sky. She was wondering, what are they doing? I mean, not a few. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And Jesus' illustration is simply this. How do you know where a dead carcass is? You look for the circling vultures. How will you know when the end is of the great tribulation? You see the Son of Man coming in glory and great power in the sky, like lightning shining from the east to the west. You can tell where a dead carcass is out in the woods where the vultures are, and you can tell when the end is when you see the visible glory of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth to him be praise let's pray god we cannot thank you enough for your word and for the ministry of our lord jesus christ and equipping us not only that future generation but our hearts are stirred this morning with hope we are prompted to live more to be ready for the coming of our lord to be with him to live for you our god in these days with hope, with perseverance. So now as we come to the Lord's Supper, we pray that as we partake, we might partake with, with renewed joy, anxiously longing for your return. In Jesus' name, amen.